0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Harry and Meghan will be at the Jubilee celebrations, but not on the palace balcony.
2: The Queen skips a key official duty.
1: And Harry is preparing for a
2: libel trial. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's Chief Royal Correspondent.
1: And I'm Kristen Meinzer, a Royal Watcher based in the U.S.,
2: And this is Newsweek's Royal Report.
1: Hello, Jack. Hello, listeners. Top of the day to all of you corgis out there. Our first story today is about a celebration with a hint of tension.
2: Yes, the Queen's Platinum Jubilee is just around the corner, and we now know Harry and Meghan will indeed be there. But not for all of it.
1: That's right. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex have been told that since they're no longer working royals, they won't be among those on the palace balcony for Trooping the Colour. That's the Queen's official birthday parade. And notably, they aren't the only big royals who will be absent from the balcony.
2: That's right. Prince Andrew will also be missing, as will his daughters, Princess Beatrice and Princess Eugenie. And Eugenie is obviously uh, a friend of Harry and Meghan, as many of you will know already.
1: Yes, and uh, Prince Andrew is, well... We all know about
2: peter <laughs> Well, I, although I guess if you've been listening to our podcast, you'll have heard a few things about him here and there, won't you, isn't
3: it? Yes.
1: But to the surprise of many, some very obscure royals will be on the balcony. I'm speaking of the Duke of Kent, the Duke and Duchess of Gloucester, and Princess Alexander. Of course, you know who they are. You know what they look like. They're on the cover of every magazine. I am just kidding. <laughs> Most of us don't know who these people are. Tell us who they are, Jack.
2: They are the Queen's cousins. And um, I made this point on social media this week, Kristen. And how do you how do you reckon it went down when I called them obscure royals on Twitter?
1: Oh, my gosh, they absolutely are obscure. Because if you were (laughs) to put up photos, let's say you were to, you know, go into a police station, and there was a police lineup, and you had to point to which ones were which, I'm sure most of us would not be able to point out who was who among these people.
2: I think that's, it's definitely a legitimate point. I got an absolute belly full of abuse about this on Twitter, but the honest reality is that even (laughs) even in Britain, people don't know who they are, and they obviously mean a lot to the Queen, because they're her cousins, they are probably going to be the only people on the balcony who will remember the point at which she became Queen. Um, Because obviously Charles was very young, he was about three, Princess Anne about one. Um, But from the public's point of view, I mean, polling by YouGov, the polling agency, has shown that 81% of Britain um, thinks this Was in 2015, thinks that they should not receive public funding. I mean, that is a huge percentage of the country. And interestingly, even within that research that YouGov did, they lumped all of the cousins in together and asked a single question about all of them. So YouGov didn't even consider them high profile enough to actually pull them out and ask the public about each one of them individually.
1: Yes, uh, their names completely absent from that survey because who knows those names? Who knows who Princess Alexandra is? I mean, some people know who they are, but they are not by any means what we would call high-profile royals, are they?
2: I think some of the very dedicated royalists have like ideas in their minds about important moments that they've been part of down the years, dating back decades and decades. But if you were to ask even the most kind of dedicated royalists what did Princess Alexandra actually do for the last couple of years? Uh, and she has done royal jobs during that time. She you know, she does royal jobs every year. Uh, how many people could actually honestly, hand on heart, name a specific royal engagement that Princess <laughs> Alexandra did over the last couple of years? I think this percentage of people would be very, very small.
1: Yes, yes, yes. But can we go back to Harry and Meghan for a quick second here? Because I do want to make clear... Harry and Meghan, they're still going to be part of all these jubilee celebrations. They're just not in this particular case going to be on the balcony. They may be on the balcony at a different point. They may be at a number of other events. There are so many other events that are part of this jubilee, including St. Paul's Cathedral Service of Thanksgiving, the Epsom Derby, uh, the Trooping Carriage Procession, which is you know all of the royals and their carriages in a big parade. So there are other moments when we're probably going to see Harry and Meghan we're going to have photo ops and they're going to be bringing Archie and Lilibet so they will be you know spending time with the family and hopefully having a few photo ops I know we all want to see little Lilibet right
2: yeah absolutely I mean obviously this will be her first trip to Britain so this will be her first opportunity to meet the queen who she is named after Um, So that would be a big moment, I think, for Harry and Meghan and also for the Queen. And obviously, Archie, you know, he's met the royals before, but he was very, very young at the time. He was about six months old or younger. um, And so this will be an opportunity for him to meet them in a context where, I mean, I guess he's still quite young. Most people don't have too many memories from age three, but you're starting to get towards the kind of age of Archie where there's a fighting chance that he might actually remember meeting the Queen. So I think... It will be hugely important to him and for Harry and Meghan to make sure that Archie gets to spend some proper quality time with the Queen as well.
1: Yes. But of course, there's that question out there. Are Harry and Meghan going to be hanging with uh, William and Kate? Are we going to be seeing them together at these events? Do you think they'll be sitting far apart from each other? What do you think is going to happen, Jack?
2: This is really interesting because obviously Meghan did come to Britain quite recently around the time of the Invictus Games in April, but she saw uh, the Queen and she saw Charles and she saw Camilla, but she didn't see William and she didn't see Kate. And obviously we've heard a lot about the that rift between uh, Harry and William. And also, you know, Meghan talked a lot about Kate in the Oprah interview. They've not sat face to face with each other since then. Um and we also hear a huge amount in biographies in Briefings to newspapers about how angry William has variously been with things that Meghan has said, with Oprah, with stuff that happened while they were at Kensington Palace, you name it. So I think that is going to be a really telltale thing. Let's say, for example, Harry and Meghan go to the service of Thanksgiving at St. Paul's Cathedral. It's not a foregone conclusion that there'll be any interaction between uh, them and Kate and William. Um, it could alternatively be similar to, for example, Prince Philip's funeral, where William and Harry didn't really interact during the actual ceremony, but they spoke to each other afterwards. Kate acted as a bit of a peacemaker, there was an opportunity to have some conversation um so it would be it would be really interesting to see whether there is any actual kind of olive branch moment.
1: yeah, I mean, I hope for their sake, there is just because you know, we all remember so vividly, William and Harry, they were so close, they were so tight with each other. I would hate for this rift to continue forever. And, you know, I just I, I hope for their sake that, you know, they can find a way to mend whatever needs to be mended. I I personally would be so sad if my sister and I completely fell out the way they appear to have fallen out. So um, yeah, my fingers are crossed for them.
2: Yeah, it's so hard with families, isn't it? I mean, I suppose all families do have their arguments, but then I think the public will see see it exactly the way you described, Kristen, that people want this to heal. Um, And in some ways, actually, maybe if Megan and William can speak for the first time, then that might actually create, it might remove one of the obstacles to to some of the ill-feeling seeping away. Um, And... But, you know, there's also the question, will we even know about it? I mean, they could have a meeting in private that never gets made public. um, And we may never learn whether, you know, the hatchet has been buried or not.
1: Yeah. And remember, we're not just dealing with, you know, stories in the tabloids. We're dealing with what has been confirmed by many biographers as racism within the royal family. We're dealing with giant issues here beyond who made who cry. And so... Um, you know, very likely that'll take more than just sitting next to each other in church.
2: Yeah, I, obviously William was the one who came out in the days after the Oprah interview and said that the royals were not a racist family after Meghan <laughs> obviously told Oprah that um, an unnamed royal had made comments about the colour of her unborn child's skin. So clearly there's uh, there are a few things for them to pick. If you were going to put an agenda together for that uh, for that meeting, I think you <laughs> oh could think of a few oh things to put gosh. on it, couldn't you?
1: Oh, my gosh. There would be a lot on that agenda. A lot. A lot. So much on that agenda. Oh, boy.
2: (laughs) But, of course, it is not just the service of Thanksgiving at St. Paul's Cathedral. And you mentioned a few of the other possible events that Harry and Meghan might go to, one of which is the Epsom Derby. Obviously, the Queen, famously huge, huge lover of horses and horse racing. Um, So, you know, mobility allowing, you would think that she would definitely be hoping to go to Epsom. It's also on Lilibet's birthday. So I don't know whether Harry and Meghan will see that as good timing or whether they would rather do something privately for Lilibet. I guess that's just personal to them. But it will be interesting to see whether they bring Lilibet out on her birthday to meet the Queen at Epsom.
1: Yeah. um, I always wonder about, you know, how they keep their little royal children, their little royal babies, from crying and freaking out and having meltdowns during these big events. Because, you know, uh, even if you're a royal child, you're still a child. And this is a lot of, you know, sitting still politely and clapping and staring at stuff that might be a little bit boring to you. So, you know, I'm I'm always curious about how they keep their children behaved well during these events. I, I I know you have four-year-old Jack and I'm guessing your four-year-old doesn't always want to just sit still for a few hours in an audience and stare at things.
2: <laughs> yeah, very rarely. I mean, does he sit still for a few minutes? Um, but no, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I think the Cambridges have in the past fallen back on, um, on, their, on the nanny who has helped them out. Uh, my memory is telling me at Pippa Middleton's wedding, for example, Pippa Matthews now. Um, and yeah, so they kind of like passed the children to the nanny but um (laughs) harry and megan i think we can expect i don't know i mean they might bring doria but i don't imagine that they'll have a nanny with them but it's yeah i mean you know who who knows maybe they'll bring doria and maybe doria will help out with the kids oh that would be be
1: fantastic i would love to see doria there
2: It'd be interesting as well to see Doria see Charles again, because obviously Doria and Charles got on quite well at the wedding, didn't they? They were photographed together.
1: Yeah. Famously, they got on like eggs and bacon. So, yeah, I I could totally see those two, you know, chatting it up and joking around again. That would be fun if we could see that.
2: That would be really nice, and it would definitely also feel like an olive branch. I feel like out of all the people within the royal family, Charles is actually quite keen to patch things up with his son. I think much more than William is keen to patch things up with his brother and sister-in-law. So I think I actually could see that as being a really nice moment. If Doria came with them, they could all sit down together with Charles and hopefully just warm everybody up and get everybody feeling happy and optimistic again.
1: That would be lovely. And let's not forget, Louis and Archie, they're not that far apart in age. Get the kids playing with each other, you know. That's
2: definitely true, yeah.
1: Spend some time with grandpa. Um, That would be fantastic if that would happen. I, I hope that happens for all of their sake.
2: Yeah. Okay. So what else have we got? We've got Epsom on the Saturday. Um yeah, so there's at the Diamond Jubilee there were two balcony moments. Um there was the the Trooping the Colour was the week after the kind of main Jubilee celebrations and so they had a kind of Jubilee balcony moment in its own right, which was actually back then it was after the service at St Paul's Cathedral. But there is this huge pageant which is outside the palace on the Mall um in London. Uh, on the Sunday so that also could be a possible time when they could all come out onto the balcony again and kind of like inspect all these performers and uh, and so on Um, and yeah I mean you know it's not impossible that Harry and Meghan could be invited although I would struggle to see the logic of why the only thing that did occur to me so I was trying to ask myself why would you not invite them to Trooping the Colour but invite them to a balcony appearance at a later date. The only thing I could think of is that obviously Trooping the Colour, the Queen's Birthday Parade, is an annual event, so they might not want to create a precedent that would see them Mm. have to invite Harry and Meghan again next year. But a Platinum Jubilee well, let's be honest, this is probably going to be the Queen's last Platinum jubilee. Or the Queen's last jubilee, rather. Um, and it may be some time before, you know, it will obviously be a completely different ballgame by the next time we have a jubilee. So perhaps there is some logic that could lead to the royals inviting Harry and Meghan onto the balcony on the Sunday or maybe after the service of Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I personally wouldn't be surprised if that, would happen um a lot of folks out there are speculating the same thing that they'll be on the balcony for that event but yeah it's it's a little bit of a delicate situation now because you know they have to keep up certain appearances we have Charles, for decades now, trying to streamline the monarchy. Like, Mm. how many people should be representing us? Uh, We have the fact that some of the royals are not actually working royals anymore. So, um, you know, it, it makes sense to streamline certain things, but it also makes sense, as you were saying, Jack, for this once in a lifetime Jubilee event to have Harry and Meghan on the balcony for certain things or front and center for certain things. So, um, I know the world is watching and hoping that we see more of Harry and Meghan, that we see maybe some olive branches, and that we see cute little Archie and Lilibet. Yeah, got to see that Lilibet.
2: I think if you, if, you fast, if you were to fast forward 20 years and look back, in 20 years time, if you were to if you were to see that Harry and Meghan have been excluded from the Buckingham Palace balcony, you'd probably think it was a little bit petty, wouldn't you? Like these things are all play out in the long term. And I think in the long, full run and full course of history, the royal family will probably come off looking uh, looking best if they can be sympathetic and welcoming and open to Harry and Meghan at the Jubilee.
1: But I'll be honest with you, I hope Andrew is not visible during any of this. I hope they just hide him everywhere all the time. Like, he's sitting in the back row near the fire exit, you know? Well,
2: maybe not even that. I mean, you know, just I think, it's, I think the time might have come for them to actually be really, you know, ruthless with Andrew and just say to him, you know, fully game over. Don't even try. Don't even think you can. Don't even come to Epsom. I think Andrew's probably going to try and come to Epsom because, you know, it's open to the public Epsom, you know, there'll be all kinds of people. there.
1: (laughs) Also you and I can go too.
2: We could, yeah, we could go, you know, (laughs) like anyone can go as long as you dress the part. Although they don't. uh, Yeah. I mean, yeah. Anyone can go as long as they dress the part. Um, but if, I love yeah, that I've, you're
1: throwing Andrew in with the riffraff. Like, you. Like, oh, you know, the public, anyone can go.
2: Well, do you know what? There are always these stories about people who didn't get into it or, or alternatively didn't get in or, or did get in. Like, you're not supposed to have tattoos. You're supposed to, obviously, it's, you know, you've got to get dressed, suited and booted in your finery. And uh, <laughs> there's always these stories, you know, someone sneaked in with visible tattoos, stuff like that. But then, you know, it does start to look a bit weird, doesn't it? If you've got Andrew there he sneaked in with a... <laughs> <laughs> having settled her, the sexual abuse lawsuit. <laughs> Definitely a bit worse than a tattoo, I think.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break, but before we do, a reminder to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your favorite shows. When we're back, The Queen's Speech.
3: Man, that sunset is gorgeous.
0: That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery.
2: Hi, everyone. We're back with our second story of the day, and the Queen had to pull out of giving the Queen's speech at the state opening of Parliament.
1: That's right. Citing episodic mobility problems, a palace statement explained that the Queen would not be in attendance and that the Prince of Wales, that's Prince Charles, would instead read the Queen's speech on Her Majesty's behalf with the Duke of Cambridge, a.k.a. William, also in attendance. This is the first time Ever, ever in the Queen's reign, that Prince Charles has done this for her. You know, the two other times that she couldn't give the Queen's speech, she was pregnant at the time, so Charles would have been way too young to, you know, stand in for her. And already people are suggesting that the fact that Prince Charles stood in for her could be the first step toward a regency. For those not familiar with what a regency is, Jack, can you explain?
2: Yes, so basically a regency is a constitutional mechanism that allows somebody other than the monarch to reign or rule in place of the king or queen. And it was probably most famously used in the time of George III, who obviously had to step back because of the collapse of his mental health. So the uh, his eldest son took over as Prince Regent. Um, and ruled in his place. Um, so, in this, what happened this week with the state opening of parliament was not that kind of regency but it did the, the particular mechanism that allowed Charles to stand in for the Queen was under the Regency Act so it was under the same Act of Parliament um, but it's not a permanent replacement it just kind of allowed him to step in for the day uh, that, that part of the Act has been used all the time or at least you know been used a bunch of times including Queen Victoria used it during her reign um, yes so what, how has this gone down with the public and the media Kristen
1: Well, it has everybody talking, (laughs) monarchists, Republicans, people who don't consider themselves either, but just see the queen as an icon, as a steadfast head of state, because it is spelling out essentially in black and white that, you know, the queen, her days, I hate to say this, her days of being the queen may not last forever. And And I'm sad about that because she really is... This figurehead; she's the stabilizing force. That uh, if she goes away, if Charles is stepping in more and more for her, what does that mean? Because Charles is not especially well liked. He's never polled well with the public, and even people who are not monarchists tend to like the queen and uh, approve of her. So, what does it mean if you know this really is the beginning of the end? what are we going to do with Charles? <laughs> is, is Charles going to be the last monarch in all of England, as some Republicans say?
2: Yes, I think Republicans in Britain are probably going to really be gearing up as soon as, whether it's within the Queen's lifetime or after the Queen's lifetime, as soon as the crown passes to Charles, they are going to be uh, campaigning very hard, for abolishing the monarchy, and they're going to be hoping to, to see progress on that front, not just in Britain, but among all the countries around the world where the Queen is currently head of state. Um, so the stakes are really high for the royals, and the Queen said famously, one of her most famous speeches on her 21st birthday, that um, she wanted to give her whole life to public service. So I think she clearly doesn't have any desire to step back. Um, But if she can't do things like the state opening of Parliament, at what point does it get to the stage where we have a de facto regency, a regency in all but name?
1: Mm, Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Uh, Just to draw a comparison with the U.S., many, many, many years ago, there was a president here named Ronald Reagan, and he was in neurological and mental decline. And a lot of people didn't realize that his wife, Nancy Reagan, and that his staff members were carrying out a lot of his work for him. And they managed to keep a lot of that secret at the time. But we live in a different era now. There's social media. There are, you know, gossip pages. There are news agencies. There are leaks all the time everywhere. And those leaks, people aren't afraid to leak things from the palace. We see that all the time. They are not afraid to leak if this is what's going to be happening here. And uh, it would be, you know, a shame in some ways if Charles does end up essentially being a regent, even if we're not saying it, it would be a shame in some ways. But I know that it would also appease certain monarchists because they want the queen to still be the official head of state. They don't want the queen to disappear.
2: Yeah, that's true. And um, she's obviously hugely, hugely respected around the world and um, the public love her. Uh, and she's also, for what it's worth, a couple of years off becoming... She's currently Britain's longest reigning monarch in history and she's only a couple of years off becoming the world's longest reigning monarch in history. Um, if she can rack up kind of two or three more years, then she will hit what will be an extraordinary milestone that Britain will quite probably never get anywhere near again. Um, so I think that she will be, she'll be very reluctant to give it up. Um, and the one other interesting thing is that the British public actually seem to basically agree with her. Um, polling by YouGov has shown that as the uh, as the Queen's health has deteriorated, the public have become more convinced that she should remain as Queen. Um, even if she's not able to perform her official duties um, so she you might remember she the all of this began in October when she had a health scare she was supposed to be going to mm-hmm. Ireland on a on a tour and she had to pull out and yougov did polling the following month in November so that was still at the height of the health scare she hadn't you know she hadn't kind of got over that yet um, and it, it basically the whole instant added about five points the, the number of people who wanted her to re- continue with her duties even if she wasn't able to perform, continue in her role as queen, even if unable to perform her duties, leapt from 50% to 55%. So the public are, if anything, becoming more convinced that she should remain as queen.
1: Yeah. And I know a lot of it's because of the love of the queen, but as I mentioned earlier, I think a lot of it is also for the not love for Charles, even though Charles is going to be supposedly doing a lot of the things that the public has asked for, um, namely streamlining the monarchy, maybe cutting down on spending, maybe, and speaking out about issues like living wages and continuing to speak out about things like climate change, which he's done all along. These are things that the people want, but he just does not have that love of the public. People want the queen around for as long as she can possibly be around even if it's just from bed. They want her to be the queen.
2: Charles is by far the most radical on climate change, by the way, because he has this thing that he supports pricing carbon. Um, which takes him substantially beyond where harry is where with, with harry he a lot of what he does is about um kind of uh, consumer power uh, trying to pursue a greener world through consumer power and then william through the earth shop prize um is about finding scientific solutions to the um to the climate problem but charles obviously wanting to put a price on carbon that is probably the most kind of it, it's actually in some ways the most inflammatory approach out of all three of them but nobody really talks about it gets angry about it or even particularly notices a it because he's just not as you know he's not as high profile within the media as as, uh, as William and Charles are um, but he did get a little bit of a taste of what life as the monarch might be like um, this week at the state's opening of parliament because people started commenting on the fact that he obviously Charles was the speech isn't written by the royals themselves it wasn't written by the queen or Charles it was written by government um, but and one of the big major issues in Britain at the moment, I'm sure the same in America, is the cost of living crisis with mm-hmm. energy prices soaring, household budgets under huge pressure. Um, it, actually, tear-jerkingly, there was a segment on Good Morning Britain recently about a 77-year-old pensioner who is forced to ride the bus all day because she can't afford her heating bills. Um, it's a real crisis, and so the government tried to announce a load of stuff about it, and uh, people basically started tearing into Charles, for the fact that he was literally just reading out this speech that hadn't even been written by him while sat on a gold throne um, mm. next to a crown that had been taken to Parliament in its own car. Um, so he got he got a wave of abuse um, over that. And I think that there's a chance he might see more of that as king because obviously... You know, the one thing about the Queen is she's this uh, female figurehead that dates back to a time when, um, you know, society was even more sexist than it is right now. Um, And now, once she's gone, the whole of the next three generations is going to be men all the way down. Um, So Charles is going to have that, you know, he's going to have that privilege thing thrown at him much more. You know, nobody says that about the Queen because they don't see her that way. Uh, They will say it about Charles.
1: Yeah. They already are. You're right. Yeah, they absolutely are. The number of headlines I saw with that picture of him sitting on that throne, even though he is speaking to important issues, issues we need to hear about, issues that we all care about, but it's just not a good look. The optics, again, Royals, your optics, please work on all this stuff. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it's you're right. It's it's it puts so much more pressure on all the other things that they can control because obviously Charles can't really control the fact that he has to sit in this gold throne in Parliament because that is the you know the pomp and the ceremony and the pageantry of of the state opening of Parliament. But everything else that they can control, they therefore have to make doubly sure to try to get right. Um, and obviously the subtext of what I think both what I've just said and what you just said. Kristen, I think is probably that tour that we talked about previously of William and Kate in the Caribbean.
1: Yes, absolutely. It wasn't actually subtext. It was a giant, giant uh, reference to it that I was trying to make. So bad. (laughs) (laughs) So bad. And I was thinking about it because William was there too at the opening of Parliament. And I'm just thinking, oh, when did we last see William like on a giant world stage? Oh, from the back of that Land Rover. That's right.
2: (laughs) Yes. So they're going to have their work cut out for them if the Queen is going to fully retreat from public life, um, even within their lifetime. And you've got to think that um, press officers in all the palaces are going to have to be having meetings to work out how they're going to deal with all these issues, I think.
1: Well, let us know how you feel about Charles as regent. You can tweet us at Jack underscore Royston and at Kristen Meindler. Stay with us when we're back. Prince Harry versus the media. The battle continues.
0: This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their 7-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car.
1: with the latest round of Prince Harry versus the media and this week it is his libel case against the mail on Sunday.
2: This is Harry and Meghan's third lawsuit against the newspaper and it relates to a story published in February which accused the Duke of Sussex of misleading the public about his offer to pay for his police protection.
1: Yes, Harry's lawyers say the male's story was false, unleashed a feeding frenzy of hostile comments, and caused considerable distress and hurt. Harry also claims the story constituted an attack on his honesty and integrity, and undermined his fitness to be involved both in charitable and philanthropic work in general and in efforts to tackle online misinformation in particular through the Archball Foundation. So he's essentially saying, This hurts his ability to earn a living, to do his job well. It's not just his personal reputation. He's talking about how he can continue doing the work he does when his name is being sullied this way.
2: Yes, exactly. So he's basically saying that they were accusing him of being a liar and he's obviously had this uh this campaign against misinformation uh, partly through the Aspen Commission. So he's got he actually filed this lawsuit within uh, something ridiculous like about 4 days of the story being published. So he got up, off the ground running on it really fast. Um and it's already getting to the stage where the first kind of mini trial before the full trial phase is starting. So round one of um, the latest Harry versus the Mail on Sunday is going to take place in June after the Jubilee, um, sometime that three weeks at the end of June. And it's going to be looking at whether, at what the actual meaning of the words used in the Mail on Sunday story was um, and whether they constituted opinion or fact. It will be much easier for the Mail on Sunday if it, if it counted as opinion. And finally, whether they were defamatory at common law. So that just means were they... did the Words used by the Mail on Sunday damage Harry's reputation or not. Um, Harry also asked for the court to consider whether it met a whether his case met another key test, which is called the serious harm test. Um, in in Britain now, you can't bring a defamation lawsuit unless it's caused serious harm to your reputation. But the judge said this is not the time for to look at that issue. So we're just going to look at the first three that the Mail on Sunday asked for. So they're going to fight it out uh, in late June. Um, what do you think, Kristen, so far?
1: I think that the Mail on Sunday, the Daily Mail, that whole empire, I think we all know they're trash. Why does it have the nickname The Daily Fail? We know because they you know, like to cater to the lowest common denominator. They like printing scandalous stories from quote-unquote unnamed sources and insiders this is the business that they work in. And we all know for a fact that Megan won her case against them not once but twice when they tried to appeal. So, I mean, my take on it is, of course, we all know the Daily Mail and the Mail on Sunday. We all know they're trash. We all – there's there's a reason why we call them the rags, right? Because that's what they are. But in this particular case, I don't really know if this is – As strong of a case as what Megan had. They were printing a letter of hers. They were infringing on her copyright. They were infringing on her privacy. Uh, So this is a slightly different kind of case. And I'm not sure if it's quite as strong, Jack, to be honest with you.
2: Yes, I think I think you might have a point there. The So this is the third time that between them they've sued the Mail on Sunday and obviously Meghan's ran and ran and ran and ran for about three years. But the first one that Harry brought, the Mail on Sunday settled out of court and part of me wonders whether he thought that they would do the same thing again. But it's clear now that they're not going to. They're going to fight this and that means that he is going to have to get his head around what will happen when it goes to court and whether he's going to get caught um, having to disclose various documents about his own internal pr operation because a lot of this is about what they were saying what the mail on sunday was saying in their story was about harry's pr operation so if he starts having to kind of like put his whole spin you know his whole pr machine everyone has a spin machine everyone has a pr machine if he has to start putting that into the public domain again it might just start getting difficult for them and you boil it all down and you look at it and you think does this one story actually lower harry's reputation compared to all the others that get printed. Like, is this actually changing Harry's reputation with anybody? If you read the Mail on Sunday, you probably don't particularly like him very much already. Or if you do like him, then you like him in defiance of pretty much every single story that the newspaper prints about him. In which case, whichever side, whichever version it is, you're not going to change your opinion based on this one story that's been published. So my view on it personally is that this is not a hill to die on, or even a hill to risk dying on, or even really a hill to risk stubbing your toe on. Um, Because ultimately, (laughs) (laughs) where Prince Harry's reputation sits is the product of literally thousands of news stories, of which this is just one.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. And the story isn't even necessarily as an some of the other stories that have been printed about him and Megan, honestly. So uh, I, I do find it interesting that this is the story that uh, he and his team are really focusing on. And yeah, I, I'll be surprised if he wins this one. And I, I just don't know. I just don't know, Jack.
2: I think if he if his decision to... Ask for them to take this early, uh, to take an early view on whether he meets the serious harm test is an indication that his team aren't sure that it does. And it, it, that might not be what's going on. But if that is what's going on and his case were to fall based on a judge's ruling that it doesn't constitute serious harm, then I think that could kind of undermine part of his narrative about the media. Like his whole, Harry and Meghan's whole narrative about the media is that they cause serious harm. So, uh, yeah, I kind of think why risk. An adverse ruling on a point that's so kind of fundamental to the bigger narrative about Harry and Meghan in the media. I, but, you know, who knows? I mean, we don't know how much money they've had out of the previous cases. Maybe it's just a nice little earner for them. Who knows? And, <laughs> uh, and good sport, because obviously they despise the newspaper. So, but and he, the maybe newspapers just,
1: despise them. Let's and just the say newspapers
2: despise them, exactly. Yeah. So maybe it's like he's just taken up polo, hasn't he? So maybe he does. These are his hobbies. He just polo, and then he makes life difficult for the male on Sunday. Um, <laughs> yeah, perhaps there. It's it's one of his yeah one of his weekend activities. But who knows? I mean, and we'll see how it all plays out. There, you know, it will be interesting to report on. It will be interesting to find out more about um, about what yeah like what he objected to so much, and also about what you know. It will give us a more of an insight into the kind of back door of the other lawsuit that sits in the background of this case, which is that the Mail on Sunday story was about his, it was about Harry suing the British government over his police protection. So we might actually find out a little bit more about that as well.
1: Yeah, I'm curious to see what will happen there. And again, I said it before I'll say it again, any opportunity to point out how trashy the Mail on Sunday is, I'm in favor of. But yeah, I just, I don't know if this is the best way to do it. And, well, on that note, Jack, that's it for this episode of The Royal Report.
2: Be sure to join us every other week when we visit the latest royal headlines, embark on some royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal.
1: Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm
2: Jack Royston.
1: Thank you so much for listening, everyone.
2: And a curtsy to you all.